Welcome to The Original Doll. I am your host, James Rodriguez. On The Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who create it, and at the same time, we give back to charity. So for every question a guest answers, we get items donated to those in need. For more information, follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll. And as with every episode of The Original Doll, any audio recording ripping stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. If you see anything leaked, please report it to the webmaster. Big shout out to my Patreon patrons. Thank you so much. This is The Original Doll. <laughs> the Original Doll. Our first guest is Freddie Scott, who happens to be a genius music producer and comedian. We go into all of his credits. He has a lot, actually, that he's done uh, over the past several years. If you're a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, you'll know exactly who he is. So we're going to get right to this. And then later in this episode, we have returning guest Maya Marie, who also collaborated with Freddie Scott. Now on with the show. All right, Freddie Scott, I want to welcome you to the original doll with James Rodriguez. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, <laughs> I'm so sad that we have to do this over the internet. It's nice to see you even through a screen. It's really nice to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. I like. I think this is going to be a great interview right here. I'm like, our personalities are matching. So perfect. Okay, we're starting strong. Uh, there's only downhill to go from here. So if 100%. you're listening to the first five seconds, then this is the greatest episode you've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And for those for those who might be first time listeners, the way it works is I'm going to talk to Freddie Scott about his career, his music, everything. And for every question he answers, we get items donated to charity. And every single question that I'm asking you, Freddie, is from people who appreciate your music, like your music. They were requesting things. It got to the point where a lot of these were the same kind of comments. So I kind of had to smush everything together or else I'd be saying, how did you get started in music? How did you get yeah. started in music? Music, yeah. how did you get started? So let's <laughs> rewind all the way back. And... Really nice of my mom to send in all those questions. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, it said yeah. not Freddie Scott's mom at gmail.com. One in Spanish, she... one in German, one all that's, the way through. <laughs> that's how she gets you. She throws you off the scent and you're like, couldn't be her. She wouldn't write that. Not at all. Not at all. I love Thank it. It's you. like Scooby-Doo. It's like, it's exactly. not me. It's just that mask. It's somebody else. It's that classic I love misdirect. It. Yeah. So, Freddie, what I like doing is going back to the beginning, because clearly you're in the music industry, entertainment industry. When did music become a part of your life that you remember? What's that earliest point where music played a part in your life? Um, I, I, I was a kid. Um, and my, I always liked and appreciated music. My parents put me into, uh, saxophone lessons, which I was like, uh, you know, now I regret not being into, but I wasn't into it at all. Um, I think I was, uh, probably the world's worst saxophone player on, on the planet. I would like fake play the saxophone at recitals because I didn't do my, my homework. I didn't, I didn't, uh, practice, you know, that whole thing that gets you to Carnegie Hall, I would have been outside of Carnegie Hall with a case open playing nothing if I had stuck with saxophone. I just imagine uh, you as a kid just going, just <laughs> doing mouth no stuff joke. and acting. Like I, it's like I was in a silent film. There was It was great acting, <laughs> but no actual saxophone, uh, no phone to that sax. So I, I was playing that and uh, this is right around, I had kind of like a, a an awakening that came in the form of, um, I was really into like, I was really into hip hop 
and then rock music. Uh, and the two were related and went, I mean, there's a lot of rock and hip hop and vice versa, but mainly like Puff Daddy and the family and that kind of stuff where they're like starting to throw rock lines in. And then, and then I started to get into like really heavy rock and metal. And I was, and what was the next step of course was picking up guitar. So I was like, okay, it's time to start playing guitar. A, because everyone that plays guitar is cool. Uh, and I would love to be cool because I was not cool. So I'm like, saxophone is not going to get me there. I got to pick up the guitar. Um, I started to play guitar. It was, I was like uh, 11 or 12. Um, and from there, uh, a deep obsession and love affair started with, with playing and with, with instruments and with like decoding songs and how they're written, decoding riffs and how they're written. Um, and then from there, I, I joined a ton of bands. I was in a lot of different kind of bands and music and things like that. Uh, and so, yeah, that's where music really came into my life. And I, I was always a huge fan of music, I always listened. And, and so I'd take records that I liked and stuff and try to replicate them uh, horribly on guitar when I first started out. Uh, and, and that was kind of the beginning of it all, this obsession with like getting the notes right, turned into obsession with how do they write this, turned into obsession of, of how did this come together? What's the arrangement? And long story boring, uh, that's like, that's where I fell in love with like the process of it uh, instead of just the flash of it or, you know, because you're a kid, you're like guitar, whoa, or anything you, 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 you get into, you're kind of doing it for like the little kid reasons. Um, and then little by little, you start realizing, oh my God, there's so much behind what you see on a screen or here on, on, on the stereo or in your Sony skipless Walkman like I had, uh, CD player uh you know what's what's behind that there's people that actually sat down and made this kind of stuff so that's what made me like get really like nerdy about, about it and into it and that's that's you know and that was when i was 12 so that was 10 years ago i'm 22 now uh clearly uh and <laughs> wow you were a child a child <laughs> worker for Ruth child worker just very <laughs> look the show is getting into legal trouble for hiring a child <laughs> There's ongoing lawsuits. Hopefully um, next season you'll get to have your first drink or vote at least. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, <laughs> no, they, they will see. I have a very strong contract with them and, uh, you know, I'm, they're barely able to do this. Like they might come in here any minute, pull one of those old timey 1920s hooks out and carry me off camera. Uh, but yeah, that's how it started. That's how it started. Well, let me ask you this then. What was that first cd you remember either getting or buying what was that first piece of music you remember distinctly um, that's the one i remember or the oldest I, memory of one i guess uh there's a there's a few but one that really for some reason stuck out to me more than most and it was what i just mentioned it was that puffed out in the family uh record with like all about the benjamins on it and i just remember like this like on want to like, bumble mate. with the b huh yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, throw a hex on your whole family. Oh, family. Yeah. <laughs> I would just remember like that was cool as shit to me. And I was like, this I I I wore that CD out. Um if you can even wear a CD out, but like I did. I wore it out. The laser disc went away. Uh that and then <laughs> and then uh and if any Metallica fans were listening, they'd be like, what's wrong with you? But it was uh Metallica Reload. Uh that was like the album that got me really into rock which is like not their most celebrated phase. But for me, it was like, right when I was coming of age, that was, that's when that album came out, like shortly before that. So those two records, which were very both commercialized, very on MTV, very during like the Britney era as well, when Britney was like, like changing the world, changing my life too, in that regard. Um, 
mainly because I had gone to, I went to Catholic school and when, when that album came out, everyone started to dress like Britney at my Catholic school because we had the uniforms already. And they're like, yeah. no, let's use this. Um, uh, so like during that era of when like, there was like a lot of super hyper-commercialized music, but only like a couple ways to get it. I gravitated towards those two records and like listened to them over and over and over again. And that kind of became my like, that's what I remember most. Like those of, of, of like, I was introduced yeah. to music by my parents for years and years. My mother's from Argentina. We lived all over the world. We did this whole thing. Uh, but like in terms of finding my own thing and like what I only listened to that did, wasn't like a byproduct of their musical taste, it was those two records, which I don't know what that says about me, but sure. That's well, it's funny because as soon as you said that, I was like, that's not the one that mo most people are always like, oh, it's this one. Or even if you say like, uh they'd be like oh the album with i'll be missing you or this like it's always yeah. going for that that one that we just remember as that was the you know the the dissertation of the whole thing uh right. but what i think is funny is i also feel like in the the tween years and the teen years those albums you get really change and mold who you are artistically i just remember jewel alanis morissette lauren hill mm -hmm. those were all albums that I listened to in in high school and those are who I go back to you know yeah they shaped my life and I remember with uh with Diddy well Puff Daddy Diddy P Diddy, like I remember him he being was, from he this to that at the to time to yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like yeah, the yeah, ever-changing yeah. thing I go people want to talk about Prince and the sign I go let's talk uh, about Diddy like changing it so much over and over I'm like yeah yeah fine. he's the king of that I was just gonna say also and I don't I don't mean to date myself here but um i feel like during that era and maybe i'm wrong and anyone that that is like you know 12 or 13 or, or a teen now uh can tell me that i'm wrong but there was like something kind of special about going out and buying a record going out and buying a cd or something else and having no other options to listen to anything else so you really had to just listen to like jaggy little pill or whatever ad nauseum or like tragic kingdom which i did like just listening to it over and over and over and over and over again because you couldn't just get on your phone or your computer and like access every piece of music that's ever been recorded in the in the known universe you kind of like went out and spent your you know 12 to 20 dollars which is why the record industry <laughs> collapsed anyway but you spent <laughs> that and then you're like this is all i'm going to pay attention to for the next like couple of weeks or you know whatever or like add to my cd wallet of CDs that are my only options. So I think it, it, it gave a level of intimacy with the music or whatever product of movie, whatever, like you, that you had to like really, really rely on that thing for entertainment and not just listen to it and then move on to the top of the week or this or that. So that's, that's uh, that time for me was really special. I don't, I don't know if people still have that experience of being like, I mean, yes, you can choose to listen to one thing, but if it's your only choice, then you really have to stick with that. And that really molds, you know, th those choices as innocent as they seemed at the time, I think really like mold your taste when you don't have any other really options, unless you go buy everything out there, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So yeah, well, that's. And I, well, and I feel like to your point though, I I talk about in previous episodes that there was an investment. You chose to go to that store to get that. If you yeah. had, you know, your own money, you chose to spend your money that way. And I think that that there was the investment and also the appreciation. You could sit down on your bed, crack open any of those CDs, the lyrics, you know, I, I was a liner geek. So I'd be like, oh, wait, this guy wrote this one, but he also worked on this. And yeah. to me, it was cool because 
It was that immersive experience. I could put the headphones on, whatever it was, and I could just read. And it was here and here, the physical yeah. and the, the sonics. And yeah. I think the sad part is I also feel like that's why I know I consume music at an alarming rate where I'm like oh because it takes two seconds oh that new song came out download done which and is then also I'm done with it great it's also great I mean there's two sides to it I, absolutely I miss the tactile part of it but like also I can go and discover so many artists that I probably never would have seen at like Sam Goody or whatever the hell I was like walking into because they displayed they were gatekeeping what I would see mm -hmm. and buy, which is why I bought the two most commercial artists possible, you know, Metallica and, and Puff Daddy, right? Uh, there wasn't like a lot of room for me to, to crate dig digitally like yeah. you can now, or you can just like find unsigned artists that have their stuff out there that are amazing that turn into the weekend or whatever, you know? So yeah, there's two sides. Yeah. I just want to- there's also wanted... that, yeah, because there's also that anxiety of it. Like if you go to a restaurant and the menu is 12 pages long, Right. You're just like, there are too many options and some yeah, people we, just We are can't. living in a, in a digital cheesecake factory. You're right. Uh, that's exactly <laughs> what's happening. <laughs> Can that be and, the name of your next single, please? Just put it out yes, there. Yes, digital cheesecake digital factory. Cheesecake Absolutely. Factory. I swear, <laughs> if I hear that in a song in the future, you're going to be like, I was there that moment. He just said yeah, that. I love it. It's going to be right. on the next, um, next season of Drag Race. Oh my God, I love it. And that question, by the way, about uh, music, how did it come to you, is from Jeff in Chicago. Up next, we have a question from Lindsay in Cape Town. She wanted to know, can you please ask Friday Scott, how do you score a documentary? Do you get to see a whole movie or scenes? I don't understand how that works. That's from okay. Lindsay. Uh, um, I've scored a, a few docs. One, the most notable oh, one was- Superman? Yeah. The no she put in there, one. she goes, Superman was really good. The docu this, she's oh. Superman, the documentary, she's called it. Thank you, thank you, <laughs> yeah. Um, that was a wild project. It was with a guy um, who uh, sadly is no longer with us, but he's a genius. His name was John Schnepp. Um, he was most known for all the like adult swim cartoon stuff like Space Ghost Coast to Coast and Metalocalypse and like a bunch of, you know, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, like, like really big Venture Brothers, like big, big hits of that, of that uh, comedy genre and just was a genius. And, and, and so he had this obsession for years and I'll get to the question. But just to preface it all, he had this obsession for years about this Tim Burton uh, Superman project that was going to be starring Nicolas Cage, which, you know, that sounds like a Mad Libs insane thing that like you just come up with after smoking too much weed. But it was real. It was a real movie that they're really making, that they really did costume design for, that they really were about to green light. And then and it all and John Peters, who just became uh made re-famous in licorice pizza if you watch that movie bradley cooper plays him like he was going to produce it um so it was this like really right before hollywood changed forever in the 90s still huge budget when jim carrey was making 20 mil a picture like all these just big bombastic movies they're going to make this nick cage superman movie and it was going to be weird as hell probably something that would have totally worked today because of all the superhero franchise and, and now it's less of a risk to do that but at the time mm -hmm you know, putting Nick Cage in the suit and doing all this stuff was like, and Tim Burton who, you know, had had success with Batman, but we don't know how that translates to like America's hero, right? Anyway, John was obsessed with the story. Kevin Smith had wrote, written the script. Uh, it was all going, 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 then it fell apart. So John made a documentary about the making of that movie and how it fell apart. And he asked me to be a part of it. And to answer the question, uh, the reason I gave that whole preface, because it's actually pretty fascinating that like how something that you think would be that big and crazy falls apart too, which is also like a lesson in the industry. Like there's no guaranteed anything. 
But uh, that movie, uh, I went off of zero screen. I, I didn't see any of the documentary at all. Wow. I got uh, briefs for vibes, like an idea of what uh, like a sad thing would do. Okay, Superman's alone on an ice planet and misses home or this or that. Excuse me. And I wrote the cues based on that. It was really just trying to like capture a feeling uh, that was given to me in words because like, and this isn't always how documentaries are done, but often, more often than not, you are trying, the, the score to a documentary complements what's on screen. So you're trying to set a mood and then enhance that mood. So you know that this part is gonna be about failure. This part's gonna be about triumph. This part's gonna be about what the script said Superman was doing. So we need a big heroic theme here, blah, blah, blah. So I wrote a number of cues that way that ended up making themselves like molding the edit in a way. Um, so like my music would go into the edit bay and then they'd edit to that music to make it to make it what it was. So that, that was an interesting thing because it was just like, like I said, it was just he would give me, uh, him and his partner, Holly, they would give me ideas uh, and, and, and moods and things. And like, you know, they had inspiration from like the old Dune score and like a bunch of other stuff and just say like, hey, do what you do, what you hear here. And that's how I came together. Yeah. How long did it take from when you first got connected to them to like you sent the final, here it is, here's ma like Masters, whatever. Well, we had worked together for a while, for a few years, but for that movie in particular, I think I had scored everything in like a month. It was Wow. Very, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a pretty quick moving process. Like I, I wrote a bunch of cues for that and they're all over that movie. Um, but yeah, it took, it took about a month. There you go. All right. Yeah. Up next is Jeff from Berlin. I really love all of the music from the past couple seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race. How did he get connected with RuPaul? I was on Farmers Only, and Ru and I matched. I hate you. I hate <laughs> and, you so much. and we said, "Oh wow, uh, how big of a hoe do you have?" Uh, <laughs> and I got hired because uh, I'm a huge hoe, aficionado, aficionado. Potato, um, potato, 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 <laughs> aficionado, aficionado. How did I get connected? Um, I had a good friend uh, who was who did some brilliant work for the show. Uh, who no longer works on the show, but uh, is a genius uh, named Lucian Pion, um, who when he stepped away from the show, I was asked to fill in uh, for him with uh, Leland. Um, and we, we went in there because we, like I said, it's a, it was a, he's a friend of mine, so it was a small circle. So I think the small circle led to some ideas as to who could step in, the, in that role. Um, and I was asked to do uh, the Kardashian musical. I had never met Rue. Uh, before, even though he had been around, like I said, with Lucian and stuff, I had never met him. Um, but I had been asked to do that. So, I, and I thought at the time it would be like a one-off because I've been doing a lot of just like random spots for TV and things like that. So I was like, all right, this sounds amazing. We were on Logo at the time, and I was like, all right, this is cool. You know, I've I've seen the show before because they've gone to Lucian's for watch parties and things like that. So I'm I'm, I'm excited to do it. Uh, and so we did the Kardashian musical. And that was like five years ago now. Uh, so it's been it's been going wow. ever since. That's that's how that started. It just it it went from there, and then they kept asking us back. Yeah, that's that's really now it's blossomed into what it is, which is an insane. Never could have seen that coming, like turning into into such a huge thing. But I'm super grateful for it. And that was my thing. It was like a random, right place, right time phone call. I love it. And by the way, that ties into Kyle from Brazil's question of what was the first track or skit you worked with. So there you go, the Kardashians. Kardashian season nine, yeah. Uh, another question was, 
How does synchronization work? I'm an independent artist. I don't understand. Do you just get hired to do a job or do you get hired to actually work on music that they then synchronize to an episode? Um, okay, so if I, if I understand the question correctly, it's basically how do I get my music on, on television? Um, what, there's two sides. The sync, sync, sync stuff is a different animal than what I do. I used to do stuff like that when I first started out, which is a uh, music library things like you, you contact or you are in, you work with music libraries that you send tracks to in, in a certain vein. If they want like, we need something that sounds like Kid Cudi. We need something that sounds like whatever. We need something that sounds like Hans Zimmer. We need blah, 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 blah. You make tracks usually for hire and then they put them in their library. And when they get synced up to television, sync meaning a show wants to use them as a background track or something else, you get a fee from the network. That is, uh, that is something that you can do even on your own by reaching out to music supervisors and things like that. If you have a library of tra tracks of music of things like that, that you've been working on that you're not getting heard or seen, usually a music supervisor will, if they like your stuff, will try to plant it in a show. And that's a, that's a synchronization. That is something that wasn't asked for by the show, but plays in the background of you know whatever like euphoria like if there's a hot if there's a track or that's undiscovered from an indie artist it's usually because that music supervisor was on some playlist or heard that artist somewhere and then liked that song enough to put it in the episode and then you get what's called the sync fee which is the network paying you for use of that song and then you get royalties based off that the other thing is work for hire or being hired by a show so for drag race i'm hired by the show i'm hired by viacom I'm hired, I'm on the show as well. I'm part of the show, I'm part of working towards the creative. So I'm in there with everyone writing these musicals, writing these song challenges specifically to screen. That's a completely different thing than synchronization. Um, and that's just the difference between working as a composer or a producer for a television show versus working as a producer and a composer, whatever else. And then just like, oh, uh, oh, my piece of music ended up on that show. If Euphoria reached out to me and said, we need a song because our characters are doing this and it needs to reflect that in the lyrics or something else. And that's exactly, that's what I'm talking about with Drag Race. So there's two avenues there. Um, the music library aspect of things is a, is a big business. Uh, it's a great way to start out. It's a great way to hone, uh, especially as an indie artist, like chops in terms of making different kinds of genres of music and things like that. Uh, but it's also a great way to offer yourself up for discovery by music supervisors and things to get your music heard and seen on television. The next step from that would be, you know, uh, getting hired specifically to write certain things or getting mm -hmm. or getting reached out to because your your music has now blown up and people like your vibe and they think your vibe matches whatever scene they're trying to make. And, and there's the deal. But yeah, there hopefully that answers that question. Oh, absolutely. Hop enough for a quick second to remind you to make sure that you subscribe on your preferred platforms, Apple Music or Spotify. And if you'd like to support the original doll, we do have merchandise for sale, but also you can join us on Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you're able to help keep this original doll up and free for all. As many of you know, every question we get, we get items donated to charity. And the more guests that we get, the more content we are able to create and release. And in turn, we need more server space, web, all that sort of thing. So we try to keep this as free for all as possible. So if you'd like to join, just go to www.theoriginaldoll.com. Now back to the show. Do you get hired as a producer to create songs separately? Then they just use them in the show. Or are you part of the show in which, hey, you know what I mean? Like it's two separate. I think you're a very oh, different yeah. case than most 
other people that have music on there because yours is specific to this is yeah. for the show and things like this that. is for the it's specifically for the show specifically for the queens and the cast to, to shine on or rue to shine on so it's like very deliberate i'm there very early on in creative i mean there's creative going on now uh planning future things uh so yeah it's it's a very different animal than like you know uh ha happening to have music on the show or if like they sing a Christina song or something like she didn't write it for Drag Race. It's just on Drag Race. The, all the stuff that I do for Drag Race is written for uh, that show and for that medium and for the for the fan base there. Yeah, there you go. Up next, we have Dennis from L.A. He wanted to know it kind of ties into that. How much prep time do you get uh, to prepare a song before they actually film anything? So that is another thing. Um, I always talk about this in interviews and stuff when we talk about it. It's I call it like SNL deadlines. Like our show is run very similarly, I think, to, a lot, to Saturday Night Live. And I think we'll be on the air just as long. Uh, I, I'll be, we can do this interview again in like 20 years. And you can tell me if I was right or not. Um, there you but, go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we have very, very quick turnaround times because the show moves so quickly. And also the nature of the show is a competition. So you don't want... The competitors to have a ton of time in the nature of competition to then think about their lyrics and how they're going to perform and blah, blah blah so what we're doing is literally writing recording presenting for creative and notes and things like that like a week a week or two before we shoot it then we shoot it usually you see me and leland on camera doing that that's actually really happening i'm actually really recording the queens on the camera and then i'm turning around that track overnight for them to then uh perform to the next day so it's very quick wow i have i have some time after that to finesse the track to add some bells and whistles and like make it sound like shined and sheened and and something you'd listen to on the radio but the initial conception to like recording to like the idea has to be the idea we can't change it anymore is just a, it's just a couple weeks from inception to execution it's like a very very tight turnaround um, and it also, you know, what's great about it is a, you feel the competitive nature of the show in the music. And so you never know what you're going to get out of it. You can, you can think something's going to be surefire and then it won't be, you can think, okay, this is fun, but I don't know if it's going to go anywhere. And then it turns into UK hun, you know, that like kind of this bigger, bigger song. Bing, bang, bong, sing, sang, song, ding, dang, dong, UK hun. Dancing to a Highland chick, Lawrence Cheney's up in this gig from Helensburgh to Edinburgh. Everywhere I go, I'm snatching wigs. I made my name in Glasgow City. Can't sing or dance, but I'm so witty. Me and my dolls are on a mission. Gonna take this crowd for Ruru Vision. Red, white, blue all over. The frock stepping take over. You thought we're all hungover. Well, you're right. We are. Thought, thought you'd seen the last well-feeding frock the town, the club, the city. On the new girls, though, so pretty. Now let's go get it ring. It's something to say. So it's very fun to do it that way. And it also just like really makes you trust your instincts as a songwriter or producer. Cause you're like, I gotta, I gotta go with the first idea I have. Cause I literally don't have time to second guess myself. So it's, it's really fun. I, I always wondered. And another question somebody had ties into that as well. It's like when you work or 
thinking of different cultures or working, whether it's UK, let's say Canada, whatever, do you take the culture into that? Like there are some sayings that we might use here. I mean, I, I finished my undergrad degree in, in London, UK, and there were definitely words. I was like, wait, what are you, what are you, what did you call me? Oh, you want to say, yeah. you know what I mean? Stuff like that. I'm like, oh, what did <laughs> yeah. you say? I'm like, Sorry. I'm from Chicago. Oh, okay. Don't Figure say right. that to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but how yeah, much do you uh, have to keep that in or the vernacular of wherever it may be? Yeah, um, it's, that's a great question. Um, it's very much paid attention to. So for instance, on UK Hun, that was like a, a, a colloquial, like slangy expression that was going around in the UK. And we have a great team over there too that like fill, fills us in on what's cool to say basically. Uh, and that was the prompt for that song, like UK Hun, you know, and then we turn it into UK Hun. Um, so yeah, we definitely try to angle the music uh, toward giving a stage let me phrase this the right way we try to angle the music and the writing towards giving an appropriate support stage to what the queens eventually will do because they inject so much of their own cultural comedy and especially in the uk versus the us show like it's it's very they're both funny but they're they're funny and their their charm and, and everything their wit comes across in different ways because uk humor is different than us humor you know so we try to give them not just like not just like a uh, the same foundation, but something that's catered to where maybe they would draw inspiration from. That's where something like UK Hun comes from, or like clap back would be like a very American kind of thing to say, um, uh, or like you know uh, what? Uh, wow, am I forgetting my own work? Um, uh, <laughs> The one that ended. Uh, all you know stars. that there are people listening when we put this up that are like, "Why you mean da 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 da?" And they're gonna like yeah. list off everything. They're like, yeah, "How does he not know his music?" It's like I'm pretty sure he probably puts it away and goes to the next one. <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah, no, and that's literally it. Just was the last. Everyone, uh, that's Freddie's least favorite song, but I just totally uh, deleted. it. I'm not gonna tell. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, the uh, oh, this is our country. Yeah, very American, very country. You know, so yeah, it's uh, it's we definitely cater it to to the different um, audiences to just give it. You know, because that's what I think the beauty of the show being in different places and not just one show that's that's watched uh, worldwide is that you get to see and feel culturally each uh, country in its music and its presentation and the judges and everything else. It has to be unique. So that's definitely a huge factor in what we're doing. There you go. All right. And Keith from Toronto wanted to know, what song have you ever worked on, whether RuPaul or anything else, actually took the longest to complete? Hmm. Going back to like having to work so quickly, I don't even know the answer to that. Um, the longest to complete, I would say not because of uh, uh, any issues of writing or anything else, but just because of cracking the code and then having to throw a bunch of stuff in it together. The first thing that comes to mind would be the Super Bowl episode of All Stars, where we did like nine genres of music in one piece uh, with all different artists and all different impressions of artists and things like that. Um, and so that didn't take long to put together, but it took a while to get all the instrumentation in and all the different things that would signal like that's that artist and this is that artist in together. Um, that took that took more time than usual on those. But like I said, for, for stuff for Drag Race and, and most of what I do these days, um, the instinct is 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 quick. I say that lo- the, pro- the thing that takes longer is production decisions is do I like that? Mm-hmm. 
snare drum or like that bass sound or like is this joke funny am i a failure should i move back home should i go live in my parents basement is it all for nothing does anyone care sorry this isn't my therapy session my bad i was on a different zoom earlier um yeah i'd say that's what takes longer the, the ideas don't take too long but like sometimes putting together something that that big where we went for everywhere from carol channing to beyonce like that took a while to get all the everything together cohesively for it to work yeah and the next question kind of actually these go along the side and what i think is awesome is people are asking about like the the technical aspect of it like how do you culture wise how do you do that the next one is there is there anything you can't put in a rupaul or drag race song is there any instrumentation styles or words that are pretty much frowned upon because it just won't transfer um and that's from liam from dublin Hi, Liam from Dublin. Uh, no, what's what's great about the show? I mean, you know, we wouldn't make like a like a pro Trump song. I'll give you that, uh, or something like that. Um, you know, but because uh, because why <laughs> would anyone do that? Um, but uh, you know, the guy sucks. Uh, but I'd say that the show. What's great about it is that we really and and that Super Bowl thing is a, is an example of that. We don't shy away from any genre. We've done. We've done everything from like Broadway to hip hop to pop to rock to rap, you know, like straight up hardcore rap to just like anything we can think of, piano ballads, um, you know, rap rock, uh, hip hop country. Like it's it's kind of like it's really fun uh, as a musician and as a writer, even um, even just words, uh, but also as a producer and and as someone who's handsome um, for it's just really fun. <laughs> it's a fun way to stretch, to use those muscles to like make multiple genres of, of, of stuff. So no, there's nothing that's off limits really. You know, uh, if we throw in a couple, uh, a few too many curse words or something, yeah, we may get, or like if the innuendo is like really innuendo, you know, then they might like push us away from it. But other than that, they give us kind of carte blanche to do what we want. And there's gotta be some fun, the creative side of you to go, I can play with all these colors right here, all these flavors. Definitely. There's a point where you don't have to think too much because guess what? We have to do this 24 hours. So I'm not going to sit on this for 12 days to like make the muse cry where you're just like, let me just go with what I have. And that part's got to keep it fresh for you too. It keeps it fresh. And it's also really, you know, um, it's, it's been really like therapeutic because like I said, the time limit doesn't allow you to second guess yourself mm-hmm. to death. So because of that, you trust your instincts. And then usually your instincts, you know, there's always notes and revisions and you always like redo something or change something here. And, and I'm not by all means saying that it's always like, it's done in 10 minutes. Uh, but you definitely don't sit there and let it stew and let your and let your analysis of it go all the way back around where you think it's bad again and then it's good again and then it's bad again. You just kind of like trust what you're doing. And all the, like you said, all the different colors and the, the palette we're able to use, like it does maintain a freshness to it, no matter what you're doing. Um, and it does allow you to say like, okay, well, I, I maybe this idea that I had worked well in a pop sense. What, it, what would it sound like in a rock sense? Or like in a, if we went into a Broadway number or whatever else, like it allows you to use ideas and, and cross genres and make stuff really interesting because truly everything's available to you. And also you got to do it by tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Or else you got to move back home with your parents, you know, so. <laughs> and open up that um, OnlyFans. Yeah, there open, you open go. Open up that OnlyFans. Any, any, I have a link ready to go. The second it all goes south, 
I'll start. Going That's what south it's called. Too. I'll go yeah. south. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Go south. There you go. See the name of your remix. All right. Uh, the next one is from Tam from Hong Kong. Which of the former drag queens or people you've collaborated with would you love to work with again? Um, all of them equally. Uh, but uh, Nina, as West, he says, uh, politically, everyone yeah, yeah, yeah. is great. Everyone is great. And uh, I don't have any ill will towards lawsuit. Lawsuit. I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Everyone's amazing. Um, I like Nina West a lot. Nina, Nina uh, did, a, did a great paper for me earlier this year. Uh, we were campaigning for an Emmy that we did not uh, win or get nominated for uh, for music. Um, you know, shout out to the Academy. Uh, 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 was it always next year? It was always next year for you to correct your mistakes, Television Academy. Um, but uh, <laughs> but Nina moderated a, a panel for us, and and, and it's just uh, you know her energy is incredible. And Trixie, everyone, everyone that I've worked with is, is awesome. Crystal, like I, I love everyone. Heidi, uh, Simone, I'm just gonna list every queen. Uh, they're all, Rose, Bear. holy shit! Um, you know, Candy, like everyone from the from Lucky from this from this last season, like they're all awesome. I'd, I'd work with any of them again. In a I love most everyone uh, from Lucky. I thought it was I thought it was mostly great. Yeah, so. yeah, and, and Sonique, yeah. There you go. That's political too. Uh, no, I love all of them, and and Sonique, I love uh, just like I'd work with any of them. They all have such you know uh, they all have such unique uh, uh, artist perspectives too. Like some of them, uh, they 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 branch off and do like hip hop, or they go do pop, or they do show tunes, or they do country, and that's what's cool too. Like uh, it's fun to watch them do what they want to do. I'd work with any of the UK Hun girls again uh it's just yeah it just depends on the genre and the song and how big that fucking check is dude fair fair you know what i'm saying i gotta buy a dolphin i want to buy a dolphin julio from mexico he said everything that he has done so far mr scott has done very well i wanted to ask how long did it take to put together something like a a vegas review uh that also came together very quickly um you know leland was uh leland and i and, and another composer writer named gabe lopez we kind of just threw a bunch of stuff together very quickly that, that stuff like uh, again um it's it's and i don't mean to diminish the amount of work i think what has happened though is that throughout the years now something like kardashian took a lot longer i think or like vh1 divas like that would take a little bit longer because we were getting our stride but at this point now the muscle the muscle and the like connective tissue of the show and what it means and what we're trying to say and do is so second nature at this point that we can write in the voice of the show very confidently. Now it takes a while in any artistic endeavor to get to that point. We're very lucky that we're at that point and we're very lucky we're still on the air to be able to flourish uh, that ability. Cause a lot of times, you know, a lot of shows you, you finally hit a stride, maybe a show gets really good in the third season or something, and then they get canceled or something else. And like, you know, you got to start back from scratch or like same with writing music for, you know, yourself or records or other people. Like there's not a consistency, uh, of that playground. Cause like a, even an album will come out once every couple of few years, maybe the artists will change genres or, or go into a different, uh, area but what we get to do is maintain this voice of course expand on it but you know the vegas review or like anything we do for the show is kind of all in the same uh i hate this word but like metaverse um and so like it the same muscle applies to all of them so they all come come along now as quickly as 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 they would for the show so yeah i love it up next is a question about one of our favorite guests here 
who just performed this weekend in Chicago is Maya Marie. How did you start working with Maya Marie? What is it about her that you think people like and react well to on RuPaul? Uh, Maya, uh, I started working with Maya because she held me enough knife point in an alley. And that she tracks. said, yeah, she said, <laughs> she said, make some music, motherfucker. And I said, sorry, I'm sorry. And she said, I'll cut you. And I said, uh, that explains fair. the scar on the face. Yeah, that's, that's from her. <laughs> She's very abusive. And, you know, uh, I'm filing police reports, but she 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 runs the cops. She controls the fair. cops. And fair. it's just something she does. Um, no, I uh, I actually met her through Drag Race. She uh, did, what, did, what did she do? She did something for us a long time ago. I think it was VH1 Divas or something else. Um, and we hit it off. She's very, very, very good at what she does. And she's also hilarious and like a fun hang. Um, she's like descended for comedy royalty and she herself is comedy royalty. She's very funny. And I, I like that a lot. I like having a sense of humor and like people with sense of humor. And she's an amazing versatile singer. And then on top of just being a good singer and artist in her, in her own right and writer, she's an incredible impressionist uh, when she comes to like, you know, doing other things and, and, and whatever. She's also a great actor. So we worked on a lot of comedy stuff outside of Drag Race for uh, during that internet comedy video boom for a company called Nerdist and did a few things together to, there too. So we just kept in touch and kept working together. And I think like once or twice a year, we'll do something for Drag Race as well. But um, she's, she's awesome and, and just hilarious and, and talented and professional and and like I said, carries a knife on her. And uh, if I didn't say all these things, then I th she's right off camera here. She's got, yeah. the, I see her, she's got the knife. Yeah, blink twice yeah. if she, you're yeah. scared. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Well, cause, and it's uh, so many of these questions, a lot of people were asking too. It's like, how do you keep it fresh for you? How do you make it so that it doesn't get tiring to you? And how do you not, how do you deal with exhaustion mentally when it comes to creative? Yeah, um, this sounds like such a canned answer, but truly it's it's the- uh, It is because you're reading it off of a card. Hold on a second. <laughs> okay. um, I love to work in entertainment and it is fun for me to have that to do. do you, who the wrote this? Jesus, I gotta, I gotta fire some people after this. Um, uh, how do I avoid burnout or exhaustion? Look, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, even on this show or anything really, especially with turnarounds and stuff, like it can get very exhausting. I've lost a lot of sleep working in the field that I work in. Um, I have panicked for deadlines. I have thought, oh my God, this isn't good enough to put out or something else like a million times. Uh, and, and then also ask myself, why, why, why did I do this to myself? Why didn't I just, you know, uh, work at a candle store and live a quiet life in, in Memphis or something? Um, <laughs> so random. Memphis. No, the other option, <laughs> there's two career paths, music and entertainment, candle store in Memphis. Those are the only two majors my college offered. Fair. I went to University of Guy with a van down the street. Uh, he offered me a scholarship if I kept quiet. Um, no, uh, 
the thing truly that guides that it keeps it fresh is the fans and their reaction and the joy of being able to see what uh what happens with the work and it's not unlike an unhealthy gambling obsession i'd say because you keep going back to the casino because maybe you'll hit it maybe it'll do this maybe something will happen and what's what's fun especially with this show is you never know how things are going to be received by the fan base so like things that i think are a surefire lock i'll jump in a a drag race forum which i do sometimes because i'm a masochist i'll jump in like a drag race forum or like a clubhouse thing and just listen to what people thought of the song or something and I'll say 90% of the time it's very positive, but sometimes they just drag it out of it. And I'm just like, huh, I didn't see that coming. And that is just equally as exciting as like writing something. Again, it's relevant because it came out this year for the two weeks we have left of this year, like UK Hun, where, which was just like a mnemonic device that turned into a gigantic hit song that went to number one in the UK. So it's like- so crazy. The thing that keeps you going truly is a the work is fun and the people you work with are amazing and it's it's like summer camp every year getting to come back together and work with the same people and, and make this show and being on camera is fun and all that stuff but truly like the reaction and getting to like scroll Twitter and ever and and see and see the queens shine the way they shine and and, and then develop bigger careers off of the show and off of the songs like the Frock Destroyers came out off of a off of breakup bye bye now they're they're like a huge they played like the new year's eve and on bbc and and they have we did their record and like they're superstars now in their own right so it's it's really the the um the gamble of like where's this gonna go i wonder what's gonna happen and that's what that's what makes it fun and exciting to keep doing you know uh i probably wouldn't feel the same way if i was writing like dramatic stings for csi no shade to CSI, but it's like, mm-hmm. okay, someone just got murdered again. Okay, we got it. They're dead again. Someone's dead. This, they de- they're dead. They're dead. Oh, they're dead. Okay, they're dead. Do we hear that they're dead? We get that they're dead. But this is this is something like completely different because you also don't know what the queens are going to add to it, what the judges are going to say, what the performances are going to look like, what the song even sounds like, or whatever else. So it's a uh, because again, going back to the nature of the competitive nature of the show, it feel I feel like I'm a contestant trying to like make sure that my contribution lands well too. Uh, so that's what keeps it fresh. I love it. Okay, now the last question that I have for you is this: So many people were asking, how do you collaborate and how do you make it so that you still have a voice in a room when people who have more seniority are in the room with you? How do you handle that? Um. Okay, that's a broader question, but I will answer that. There, there, that's a great question because I feel like, and I won't rant too long, but uh, I have a lot of thought on this. And um, I, coming up in my career, even where I'm at now, and you know, everyone always wants to be in a in a bigger, bigger place and work harder. Obviously, that's why we do anything. But even even to get to like where I'm at now, I've had to deal with a lot of compromise. And and compromise gets easier once you accept it. And then once you accept it, uh, once you let go of your ego in a, in a working situation specifically, you find out that the work and what you're doing gets 10,000 times better. And uh, you stop thinking about it in terms of what you're contributing versus what they are or versus their seniority. If you disagree with something, you can disagree with something. But what's great is you end up just by osmosis, developing a muscle and developing a tendency to get to the best thing that serves the project. Now, that's not the case in everything. You have to work with people who also know what they're doing. I've definitely been in scenarios where I get a note from a higher up. And I'm like, that is that sucks. That's terrible. And then I have to stick to that note. And then I'm proven right once the thing comes out. 
not with drag race, but with other stuff, uh, truly not with drag race. Um, uh, but then, you know, you have to make sure that if you're comfortable in an environment where the best idea wins then the best idea will win. And your contribution to that process is, let's say you pitch something that, that works great. Let's say you pitch something that doesn't work. Now, you know, not to head in that direction. So your contribution is just as equally weighted as if you had nailed it. So, you know, you, you know, where not to go because of your bad idea, right? So your contributions in the room carry equal weight. And when it comes to someone's seniority or getting there, like you have to play the game uh, as a creative, you have to be humble. You have to know your role and really show up to do that role. It's only through doing that, that you end up getting a bigger voice and end up being more senior and end up getting to like drive things a little bit more because then you're trusted and then your instincts are trusted. And then, you know, you've done the work to understand how the creative process works. So uh, to answer that, I think, answer that is is to make sure that your ego isn't talking make sure that your need to serve the project is talking but then also maintain a healthy uh a healthy um quality control meter where if you know that the person you're working with if, the, if something and you know their ideas are bad know how to speak up but do it in a way that makes it seem like it's a collaborative idea and not like your idea is bad. How about this? Um, I think that's the death knell because then you're engaging their ego to fight back with you because they think you think they're wrong. Um, I think the best way to do is to always steer it into a direction that makes it seem like it's serving the song or the piece of or, uh, the, the project the best way for everyone involved so that everyone feels a part of it. Because um, the collaboration is truly key, especially in TV or film or anything, anything that requires like a bunch of people that were unpopular in high school and then moved to Los Angeles or New York and like wanted everyone to see me, you know, like you got to really <laughs> wrangle, you got to wrangle, you got to wrangle some personalities and yours is one of them. Uh, so, so make sure you're as kind to all the other contributors as you are to yourself and you'll hopefully work with the right people to get to that, that, that nice little answer that, that makes the best uh, end, end, end product. Oh, I love that. Yeah. On that note, what I want to do is have everyone hear from you. How can they follow you, reach out to you? How can they see what you're doing? Do you do sound better? Things like that. What sort of other ways um, can people reach out to you and things like that? I should do sound better. I don't do sound better. I, I started an account and um, I got a couple of really weird requests and I was like, yeah, I'm good. Um, they, were, <laughs> so they were about your feet, right? They were about my that. feet. They're like, can you record your feet? Uh and put a hip hop beat underneath. And I said, oh, sure, sure. Oh, I was thinking like Enya, but continue. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's OnlyFans. That's a different tier. That's a different tier. Uh, you can reach out to me. Uh, my handle uh, on all internets is at Freddie Scott, Freddie with a Y. Um, and yeah, I'm, 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 I'm around. I mean, I mean, that's, is that the answer? Hey, I'm around. There you yeah, go. sure. Yeah, I'm around. I'm on I'm the around. internet. I got the check mark thing, uh, you know, but parents are so proud. They're like, finally, we see you. And I was like, oh, that's all it took. It's getting verified. <laughs> the awkward uh, moment your parents finally acknowledge you because you got the blue check. Congratulations. Yeah, like, oh, we can listen to you now. I'm like, thank you. Thank you so much. This means a lot. Now we can um, acknowledge we have a son. <laughs> exactly. We're, he, did you know Did you know we had a son? Did you know our son's verified? Um, uh, I love it. Yeah. No, yeah, that's that, perfect. 
that degree from the guy in the van paid off because now I'm verified. (laughs) All right. So everyone, (laughs) we will uh, catch you up soon. And don't forget for every question that Freddie answered, we're getting items donated. And for every listen we get in the first 24 hours on Apple podcast, we do in fact get an item donated for every listen. So tell everyone. Now up next, we have returning guest Maya Marie, who's going to talk about her time collaborating with Freddie Scott. Enjoy. Everyone, I would like to welcome back to the Original Doll, returning guest and performer for the Original Doll. We have Maya Marie. Maya, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, thank you so much for having me again. I know. <laughs> it's almost like the Original Doll with James Rodriguez and Maya Marie. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Coming in 2024. Um, yes, I'd love that. What we just what we just listened to was our uh, interview with, or my interview with, Freddie Scott. Now, you collaborated with Freddie Scott several times. So can you talk a little bit about how you got connected to Freddie Scott, some of the kind of songs that you worked on, um, and if you guys are working on anything uh, coming up? Um, Yes, I love Freddie. I actually met Freddie through the RuPaul Drag Race franchise. Um, Originally, I was working with Lucian Pione, and then one of the sessions Freddie had taken over. So I went over to his home studio and I believe the first one we did was the Paris Hilton and um, the Kardashians episode. And I did like Kim's voice and Paris's voice. And I uh, I don't know who else's voice. I did a, I did a few on there. And then um, from there, we just did several episodes. We did the football, the Super Bowl episode with Fergie. Um, we did just like a bunch uh, that were super, super fun. And we also did a Star Wars parody that you can find on youtube i believe it's the a star wars is born it's kind of like a lady gaga mashup (laughs) of shallow and star wars and freddie played my love interest in that so um yeah we've done a lot of stuff together we haven't worked on anything recently or haven't been you know i did just have a child but um i'm i'm hoping to (laughs) which definitely reconnect and do some more stuff because he's awesome super super talented guy well, and that was something that, you know, he was giving you props saying, you know, you basically are not just, you know, a great singer, but you're a great actor that you can pull these things through. And I think to me, it makes sense for you two to work together because he creates, he thinks outside of the box. And if he's like, hey, let's do this Fergie impersonation, you're like, good. Hey, let's do this Kim thing. Good. You know what I mean? That you can go with the flow with him. It seems like you guys had a good synergy. Yeah, he's also super, super hilarious. You can hear in the interview that Freddie is hilarious. So He's just a blast to work with, and I'd love to do many, many more things with him, for yeah, sure. And I, and I think one of the great things is when he talked about the fact that you know it's not like a year before you know he gets a whole year to put together songs, especially for RuPaul. That it's like this needs to get done. He's like, we have twenty four hours to create this. Let's yeah. have Maya come in. Let's do this, and how quickly it is. And some people may be like, but wait, you said you recorded that and. July, but it's now being played in March. It's like, well, we're talking about production time while it's happening. Like oh, yeah. he is working with the, the the performers live in person, has to get that done in a deadline, and then post comes in and hand out handles all the rest of that. But so I want to ask you this though. What do you think? Now you've been it's been awesome. You actually have a track with RuPaul called Adrenaline. Yes. And for you then. We've talked before, and especially in the environment that we have recently with, you know, drag queens just basically being, you know, 
villainized and things like that. I want to ask you, as a woman who's always been an ally for the LGBT plus community, how important do you think RuPaul is in the music industry? As somebody who not only worked on a project for him, but you also worked on the RuPaul Drag Race, how important, how big of a name is RuPaul, one of the the most well-known drag queens in the music industry? Oh, I think he is legendary. I mean he's been doing this for a really, really long time. And I don't know as of right now, but I have heard, I mean, I've only spoken to him like super, super briefly, um, but I've, he was super nice. Um, everything's really professional. I always get paid really on time, which is important. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I know back when he had first started Drag Race, I don't know if this is still true today, but I, I know that he was like managing himself and just doing everything himself. So I think he's just brilliant. And I am totally on team drag queens. I don't get why people are so offended. I could go on, but I digress. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think he's just amazing and has influenced so many people in such a positive way. And also just a really smart business person, which is awesome to hear that he does so much himself, you know, really mm-hmm. inspiring. Well, and that was one of those things where it was like, uh, you know, we talked before, it's like, you know, you're dealing, many people have said when they dealt with RuPaul, you're dealing directly with RuPaul. Like, yeah. it's like me at RuPaul at me.com, you, that, that sort of, that sort of thing where it's like, no, you're not, it's not an assistant. Yeah. You're not on the phone with these people. You're dealing directly with RuPaul. Which I think is so cool. I mean, Obviously, I'm like that, too. I mean, I have had management in the past, but I just am such a control freak. I love handling my own stuff. Um, I'm nowhere near the level of RuPaul, but I just think that's so cool that he's so hands-on and involved in, like, every part that he can be. I'm sure now it's, like, exponentially bigger and harder to manage everything because it's kind of boomed into this phenomena. But, um, I mean, I think that's one of the that's one of the reasons why I was really, really inspired by him for sure. And still am. Well, and that's one of those things. What I've loved is we've talked about your love of Britney Spears. Britney Spears is somebody who RuPaul even talked about. I love, like, he loves these artists as much as we all love these artists and these artists love him as well. And I remember RuPaul Drag Race, when this came out, I was just like, what is this? This is amazing. And then you would get, this wasn't just a D-rated show. This is an Emmy-winning show who gets Lizzo, who gets Charlie XX, who gets these people on there. And so that level of what the music needs to be in the series needs to reflect that too. And I think that Freddie has brought something a little bit extra and different to it. And the songs that you all did together are just, they're smart. And what I've loved about Freddie is that Freddie doesn't, he doesn't go, first of all, for the low-hanging fruit. Secondly, he doesn't do comedy for the sake of um, hurting somebody. Like, his comedy is not based in tearing down somebody with, like, malicious intents and things like that. No, it's, like, funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and so smart. how different was working with Freddie, and what was that thing that you really liked about working with him? Um, really everything with Freddie was super easy and really, really fun. Like I said, just a blast to work with. So it always, it never felt like work. It just kind of felt like you're hanging out and, um, yeah, everything was like very easy breezy. Um, 
easy to understand, a lot of humor in there, which was like great, really smart. Um, yeah, I would just say just really fun and easy. He never made me feel weird or uncomfortable at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. And I think that shows in who he is because I mean, that, that interview was just hysterical. And I mean, I just got to spend that limited time with him. You actually spent time with him at work ultimately. And it's like, if you're like, this is the same guy that you get in the studio. I'm like this. I love that. There's no air to it. Like there's so many people that could have had a fraction of the success that he has had and just be like, sit over there. Don't look at me. You know, and, and don't, don't make eye contact with me. You're oh, just this yeah, little puppet. No. <laughs> no, really, really cool. Really cool guy. Super talented. Definitely deserves everything he has and more. And I wish all of the success to him and hope to work with him ASAP. There you go. So universe, let's put it out there. Well, Maya, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. And I know that you have now a new YouTube page that was started with your music. How can people stream your music and things like that right now? Yes. Um, I actually had a good friend of mine who runs my website and um, fan page. I had her start a YouTube channel because I had so many people asking me about these like old oldies songs um that i don't have up on spotify i don't have up on apple music and the reason why is just because you know there's so many other people involved i'd have to get all this permission and thankfully youtube's pretty chill so you can check it out it's maya marie music channel um m-y-a-h-m-a-r-i-e music make sure to follow at maya marie music because she updates everything on there way more than I do on my personal page. Um, she's super great and organized at that. So follow her for all of the updates. And yeah, I mean, I, I really appreciate everything she's done. So that YouTube channel is up and running. So Maya, why don't you introduce a snippet of your collaboration with Freddie Scott? Yes, this is a Star Wars is Born shallow parody. Enjoy and also make sure to look up the video because it's pretty funny. <laughs> it is hysterical. I'm going to send out those links to everyone. Here we go. And everyone else, once again, thank you so much for listening. And as with every episode of the original doll, any audio recording ripping, stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked, please report it to the webmaster. See you on the flip side. Thank you so much, Maya. Of course. One last thing, if you are a fan of RuPaul, make sure that you subscribe on your preferred streaming platform because I'm going to be talking to one of the first music producers to work with RuPaul. You'll find out more information soon. See you on the flip side.